0: Midtown Detroit Studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today.
1: Have you noticed all the sudden excitement about the idea of electric vehicles? Detroit automakers especially have leaned really hard into the idea that the future of transportation is still cars, but powered by electricity rather than internal combustion. Better for the efficiency, better for the environment is the argument. But is that true? We're gonna have a discussion today about the limits of the switch to EVs. That's all next on Detroit Today, but first the news. From NPI.
2: Detroit Today is supported by Michigan School of Psychology in Farmington Hills. Educating psychologists today who will transform our world tomorrow. Learn more at msp.edu.
1: Welcome to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm glad you've decided to join us. With the price of gas absolutely skyrocketing at the pumps, you might be like me, thinking to yourself sometimes, maybe it's time to get away from the internal combustion engine, and look into getting an electric vehicle. Think about what it would be like to never have to go to the gas station again. And think of all the really, really great models that automakers here in America and overseas are coming up with for electric vehicles. Some of them look really cool. And of course that purchase would come with the added benefit of zero emissions while you're on the road. You would stop polluting the environment by driving. Automakers in the United States are betting big on you and me and millions of other drivers acting on those benefits in the coming years. GM is switching its entire lineup of vehicles to EVs by 2035. And last week, Ford announced it is splitting its EV and internal combustion divisions as part of its effort to go all in on electric vehicles. But emissions aren't the only environmental or societal problem with traditional cars. What about the process used to generate all that electricity we'll need to charge EV batteries? What about the manufacturing of those batteries? In all, there's a real question about how much more environmentally friendly EVs will be compared to vehicles that use an internal combustion engine. And should we be doubling down on our dependency on individual cars, individual vehicles, which, of course, we absolutely love here in Metro Detroit for every American? And instead of investing in things like robust public transit or how about this? Encouraging things like carpooling. One of the things that's been really strange to me about the meteoric rise in gas prices in the last couple of weeks is how little I've heard about carpooling. No one's saying, hey, what if you split a ride with your neighbor to work? You might cut your fuel costs literally in half. We want to spend the hour today Talking about cars, talking about EVs, and what the actual promise is for electric vehicles, as well as what the limits are. And we've got two great guests here to talk about those benefits and limits of our big switch to electric vehicles. Greg Schill is associate professor at the University of Iowa College of Law. He studies cities and transportation through the lens of corporate law. He's co-host of the podcast, Densely Speaking. Greg, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks,
3: Stephen. It's a pleasure to be here.
1: Also with us is Maxwell Woody, who's a research specialist at the University of Michigan Center for Sustainable Systems. He's the lead author of a new study conducted in partnership with Ford, that looked at the environmental benefits of electric vehicles. Maxwell, welcome to Detroit Today as well.
4: Thanks for having me, Stephen.
1: Greg, I'm going to start with you. You write and think a lot about our dependence on personal vehicles and on driving ourselves everywhere we go. You are often speaking, I think, to the choir here in Metro Detroit, where, of course, we have uh, not just invented many of the the things that produce cars and and identified ourselves with the car but identified ourselves with our own cars and the idea that uh, the best way to get from one place to another is in your car and preferably by yourself. So I I want to get your thoughts on this switch to electric vehicles, what the likely benefits are and some of the issues like that desire to drive ourselves everywhere that EVs really just don't address.
3: Well, I'm glad you put it that way, Stephen. I think that kind of encapsulates both the benefits and then what's kind of left out by this uh, proposed transition. So... You know, let's start with uh, EVs as they are today. They're about 4 or 5% of vehicle sales, I believe, in 2021. And uh, companies like Ford and others have plans to ramp them up, and we hope that they're able to do so. Um, of course, they're probably going to run into some of the same supply chain issues we've seen with ICE vehicles, especially given their reliance on, on China and China. And, um, some a far-flung network of mines and other countries to get the minerals that we need for the batteries. So, but taking the optimistic view, you know, we hope that that we can switch more to electric, um, and I think that would be really helpful with uh, operating emissions. Um, but then there are other types of emissions, and then there are other problems, as you've alluded to, that go beyond
1: emissions. Mm. And when when we think about um these EVs uh, and how they fit into that larger context uh, talk about some of the other transportation th- changes that you think we need to be thinking about to create a sustainable future what are we what are we missing i guess by by focusing so much on EVs sure so
3: there are these operating emissions and we tend to think about a lot about exhaust emissions right um what comes out of the tailpipe but then there are other types of even operating emissions like uh, tire wear brake pad wear um where the impact of an ev switch is more ambiguous obviously evs still use tires they use brake regeneration that may you know to regenerate power that that may capture some of the um, PM 2.5 and PM 10, these are the particulate matter uh, that Maxwell can probably tell us more about. Um, I'm not a scientist, but uh, but these things can cause cancer and heart disease and other uh, terrible public health problems, uh, quite apart from climate change and environmental damage. Um, and then we have non-operating emissions, like all of the concrete that creates uh, 696 and 275 and 14 and 94, right? And all the asphalt and all the auto manufacturing um, that embeds carbon. And it really is required for, you know, on an ongoing basis as well. Um, in some states in the U.S., uh, concrete factory emissions are among the biggest emitters. And cars obviously require a lot of concrete. And so a car-based system, whether the cars themselves are powered by electricity or uh, or gasoline is going to require a lot of those types of emissions. And that, that's even setting apart what you mentioned earlier about how we power the uh, our households to charge the cars in the first place, which in Michigan anyway is still um, mostly uh, gas and coal, last I checked. Um, so it's it's uh, that's all on the environmental side and the public health side. And then we can get into safety issues and uh, some of the economic issues as well. Yeah.
1: And Max, I want to bring you into the conversation here. We've been hearing a lot of EV skeptics talk about the ways that uh, they may not live up to the environmental benefits that people think of when they think of EVs. Uh, you're the lead author uh, on this new study that looked at some of these benefits. Tell us what you found.
4: Uh, yes, so we looked at uh, specifically the greenhouse gas emissions of vehicles, um, and we looked at these emissions over the entire life cycle of the vehicle. Um, so uh, like Professor Schill mentioned, that includes not just driving the vehicle, uh, but all the emissions that go into uh, obtaining all the materials that go into the vehicle, manufacturing the vehicle, um, and then what is done with the vehicle at its end of life. So every stage of the life cycle of the vehicle is accounted for, um, and then the energy source is accounted for as well for the electric vehicles. So depending on whether the vehicle is charged by uh, you know, solar energy or gas or coal All of that will impact the overall life cycle greenhouse gas emissions of the vehicle. Uh, So we conducted a study to account for all these different factors and quantify the emissions benefit uh, of switching to electric vehicles. Uh, What we found is that there is approximately a 64% lower emissions for electric vehicles compared to internal combustion engine vehicles. And this ratio, the 64%, is roughly constant across different vehicle classes. So whether it's a sedan, SUV, or a pickup truck, there's the same benefit. Um, so, yeah, just like you guys have mentioned, it doesn't get your emissions down to zero, but it's about a 64% reduction in life cycle greenhouse gas emissions.
1: And the things that are still helping to pollute the environment from EVs, are, are they are ancillary things. In other words, the, the, the production of the electricity, the manufacture of of uh, the battery, those kind of things. There isn't a direct pollution, but there is an indirect cost, environmental cost of these things. Is that, is that the right way to think about it?
4: Um, yeah, I and mean, those are all important factors that you know, need to be accounted for to really do a, a fair comparison between electric vehicles and gas vehicles. Um, really, electric vehicles in the production are actually um, more emissions intensive, about, about twice as intensive, So because the battery is, you know, particularly uh, emissions-intensive, just making the vehicle, you'll have much higher emissions from an electric vehicle. But because the operating emissions are much lower, you will uh, make up for that within, you know, on average in the U.S., between one or two years, that production emission burden will be overcome, and then you will be saving emissions for all your operation after that time.
1: Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm talking about... Electric vehicles today and what we think about the idea of switching to electric vehicles, especially now that gas is so expensive at the pump. Uh, Are EVs a solution not only to our gas price woes, but to the environmental concerns? that still exist with regard to the internal combustion engine and, of course, the amount that all of us uh, drive and often drive by ourselves. Uh, We want to hear from you during this conversation as well. Give us a call and tell us what do you think of this massive shift to electric vehicles? It's happening right in front of our eyes. Uh, Have you thought about buying one of these electric cars? Uh, What are the things that are attractive to you? about the idea of owning an ev and what are some of the reasons perhaps that you might not be ready to get one especially want to hear from you if you already own an electric vehicle which one did you choose Uh, give us a call and let us know what the experience is like Uh, what's it like to never have to go to the gas station Uh, but also are there other kinds of considerations lifestyle considerations that uh, that you've had to take into account because you own an electric vehicle instead of a gas one. As always, uh, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there. Or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, uh, and uh, we can work you into the conversation that way. We've got a couple of Social media comments, I want to at least uh, get into the conversation up front. Rick on Twitter says, yes, e-bikes, safe infrastructure for walking and biking, better land use and zoning decisions, and safe systems approach. Those are all ideas that he'd like to see implemented. Brian on Twitter says, I don't think they fight climate change at all, uh, electric vehicles. The amount of energy it takes to refine gasoline, stored energy, is less than the equivalent unit of electricity. They are just reinventing the wheel. Uh, I I want to pause there, uh, Max, and have you uh, addressed that since you did this study. Uh, Is Brian right about the the difference between uh, the energy it takes to refine gasoline and the equivalent unit of electricity?
4: So, uh, rather than units of energy, what's really important here for uh, climate change, reducing your emissions, is how emissions-intensive each vehicle is to produce and then to operate. so what we found is that uh, electric vehicles are um, almost one-third the overall emissions of a, an equivalent gas vehicle. Um, so there's a, a very substantial reduction in greenhouse gas emissions. And that does, again, account for um, you know, all the mining processes that go into obtaining the materials, all the manufacturing, putting the vehicles together, all the upstream effects of refining the gasoline, upstream effects of generating the electricity, whether that's um, at the gas plant, at the coal plant, or whether that's the even building of solar panels or the uh, wind turbines. So, when all these factors are accounted for, we still find that electric vehicles are a significant emissions upgrade over gas vehicles.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Uh, a couple other social media comments. Big Neo says, I'd love to have an EV in my garage, but the buy in price point is a huge barrier. To overcome I, that's a, something i think we ought to pause and talk about too uh, electric vehicles are not cheap and and there are a lot of people who are just priced out of that market greg i wonder if you can uh, talk about again what implication that has on kind of the larger transportation issues that we have are 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 we creating i guess some sort of cultural dichotomy really where uh, some people may be able to afford these these cars these fancy cars and uh, other people other people may not and what what impact does that have on not just the environmental concerns but but on transportation generally
3: i think that's a species of a larger issue which is you know affording a car in general so one in four households in detroit for example in the city does not have access to a car which is a staggering figure when you consider this is the heart of uh, the car um basically the birthplace and the the place where it's flourished um and in the suburbs that's maybe less clear but in the city uh there's real um mobility deprivation And so, you know, the fact that cars are widely available and so on has not addressed that because there's a lot of poverty. These are not people who are by and large car free by choice, Um, these are people whose lives would be enhanced by having more ease of movement, but they can't afford it. And so, you know, even in our current paradigm um, I think it's worth thinking about this. And so what is the solution to that? Well, electric vehicles, which as you say, are more expensive, aren't really going to address that. Uh, public transportation and safe active transportation like walking and biking um, really are the only economically sustainable um, and equitable uh, ways to enhance access to opportunity and to other destinations. and beyond economics, uh, there are 100 million people in the United States that don't even have a driver's license. Now, for many of them, that's because they're too young, um, but for others, um, and really for all of us, ultimately, it's it's because of age on the other end. The average American now lives um, 10 years beyond their safe driving life expectancy, um, and so there's this middle segment of life where you know most of us are it's safe for us to drive, and we have the financial wherewithal to do so. But for folks who are a little bit outside of that, either age-wise or income-wise, um, you know, it's just not really an option. And they're dependent on others uh, or a, a smart bus for rides. And we need to think harder about how to improve those options.
1: Yeah. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. Uh, let's go to Dave in Farmington. Dave, welcome to the show. Good morning. Hey.
0: I'm uh, due to get a car soon, and I'm planning on getting a hybrid vehicle because I see that the the grid in the Midwest and the Northeast is is largely built on coal, and it's not going to change anytime soon. And adding all these e vehicles to the grid is just going to make it worse
2: mm. in
5: the
0: uh, you know the communities that are bearing the brunt of the coal coal el- electricity production and uh, the flexibility with the hybrid and uh, not you know. Uh, Having as much rare earth stuff to make all that electric vehicle
1: yeah production. Dave uh, dave that's a really interesting it's a really interesting idea behind your decision um uh, Max, I wonder if you can talk about the virtue of hybrid versus e v but also these questions about the grid and if we all switched to electric vehicles what what we might have to do I mean we already have. Serious grid issues, not just here in Michigan, but uh, but but all over, as Dave points out.
4: Yeah, so hybrids um, are significantly better than conventional internal combustion engine vehicles in terms of their emissions. Um, in our study, we found approximately thirty percent lower than a comparable gas vehicle or internal combustion engine standard vehicle. Um, so there's less of an emissions reduction than for a fully electric vehicle. But, you know, in the middle ground between the two, that's where you find hybrids. Um, And in terms of uh, the grid, uh, in our study, we looked at the the regional variation in emissions for electric vehicles. So this included different grids throughout the country, as well as the impact of uh, temperature on the vehicle and different driving patterns, you know, highway to city driving ratios, and how these will affect the fuel economy and ultimately the emissions. Um, So Michigan is, is... much in line with the national average uh, in terms of the emissions reduction potential from electrifying vehicles, um, about 60%. You know there are a couple regions in the country where there is not much benefit to an electric vehicle. Um, you know, areas with really high coal percentage on the grid, and also mm-hmm. happen to have you know particularly low temperatures. Some areas in, in Wyoming, um, but in almost everywhere, we found about. 98% of counties. We did this on a county level. There is an emissions benefit to switching to an electric vehicle. Um,
1: okay. Uh, when we come back, we are going to continue this conversation about uh, electric vehicles, the future of transportation. I want to thank um, Max. Uh, I want to thank Max Woody uh, for being here with us and and talking about. Uh, this new study about uh, environmental benefits of electric vehicles. Max, it was great to have you here. When we come back, we are going to be joined by another voice on this, Cynthia Williams, who is Ford Motor Company's Global Director for Sustainability, is going to join us. We're also going to keep Greg Schill, Associate Professor at the University of Iowa College of Law, and we will continue to hear from you on the phones and on social media 313-577-1019 is the number that's 313-577-1019 you can also go to facebook or to twitter put comments there and we'll work you into the conversation we'll be right back with more Detroit Today listening to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. We're talking this hour about electric vehicles, the appeal of electric rather than internal combustion engines, and the focus uh, not only of our Detroit automakers, but of automakers around the globe on the idea that we should shift significantly, if not entirely, to cars that are powered by electricity. Is that the answer to, number one, the skyrocketing fuel prices that we are all enduring right now, but also to the environmental concerns that linger around cars and uh, transportation? As always, uh, we want to hear from you during this conversation. Call and tell us what you think of this new focus on electric vehicles. Uh, Are you somebody who's already gone out and bought an electric vehicle? Give us a call, tell us what you bought how satisfied you are with it, and what the experience is like. How different is it not ever having to go to the gas station? Uh, We've got Greg Schill, who is an associate professor of the University of Iowa College of Law, with us. He studies cities and transportation through the lens of corporate law. He's also co-host of the podcast, Densely Speaking. And I want to welcome another voice to the conversation as well. Cynthia Williams is Ford Motor Company's global director for sustainability. Cynthia, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you. So uh, you are, of course, familiar with the new study uh, with the University of Michigan and Ford that looked at the environmental benefits of electric vehicles. Tell us some of the things in that report that, that jump out at you.
2: Oh, absolutely. So the University of Michigan and Ford Motor Company our researchers. They conducted a new study into the savings in greenhouse gas emissions relative to light duty vehicles, and found that sedans, SUVs, and pickup truck battery electric vehicles have approximately 64% lower cradle to grave life cycle emissions than their internal uh, combustion engine
1: equivalents on average. And Ford's focus on this is 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 huge of course uh and the renovation of michigan central station i uh, i feel like is kind of the centerpiece of, fu- of ford's future thinking about um transit and transportation and especially electric vehicles so so talk to us about ford's approach to to electric vehicles uh to hybrids to to other forms of uh you know of uh uh, propulsion for for cars, but also talk about this decision to split off the electric vehicle division uh, and how that plays into ford 's thinking
2: absolutely, just to talk a bit more about the the vehicles that we 're looking at, if you look at the all electric f one fifty lightning it's the first ever f series uh, that 's zero emissions it 's providing features made possible only by uh, any, any electric vehicle. Some, similar, uh, and some of, some of the things that our customers also told us that they needed in terms of, you know, protecting their equipment. Uh, so you have the mega frunk, power frunk in the front. And you also have bi-directional power transfer in this vehicle. That's when they invented the out of an can uh, You can power your home up to three days, and if you ration those, what you actually charge plugging in, it can even go up to 10 days. So, these vehicles are the most capable vehicles that Ford uh, builds, and I'll tell you, uh, you know, the F-150 powerhouse is targeted with a 563 horsepower, 775 foot-pounds of torque, and you can tow up to 10,000 pounds. Mm. So, again, these vehicles are the most capable ever, and one of the reasons, uh, you know, Jim Farley's vision uh, when he split off uh, the Ford Blue and the Ford Model E is to really have a focus and accelerate into, uh, you know, accelerate our, our, our goal to, to get to zero emissions uh, vehicles in, in the future. It's really accelerating that.
1: So I, I also want to give you a chance to talk about the price of these cars. Uh, I'm somebody who is super interested in, for instance, the Mustang Mach E, uh, but that's a fifty thousand dollar car, and there's a lot of people who are just not in that uh, in that price range, and and in general, EVs are more expensive than uh, internal combustion engine uh, cars right now. Uh, uh, Tell us about that gap and how Ford and other automakers uh, plan to, to narrow that gap, I guess. Absolutely, And the Mustang Mach-E,
2: I believe the starting price is around $43,000. But if you look at the F-150 Lightning, the game changer with this vehicle, it starts at $39,974. And both those prices are before any of the uh, incentives uh, that are offered by the federal government. And depending on what state you're in, you should also check your local uh, state uh, state and local uh, incentives as well. So again, that's before the $7,500 tax credit that's offered by the federal government. And so again, these vehicles, you know, with, with, with incentives like that brings it closer to the range of your internal combustion engine. Mm. But if you look at the over the life cycle of the vehicle, you also have to look at, you know, the total cost of ownership. And we're seeing about, you know, a, a savings, uh, you know, on, on the um, average 20, at least 10 to 20% savings in terms of total cost of ownership. And so again, you should really take a look at the total life cycle of the vehicle. And uh, and do your comparison that way. Yeah, uh, I'll tell but, you. Oh, go ahead.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, go I'll ahead. Just
2: tell you that the 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 reservations that we're seeing uh, for F one hundred and fifty are now closed. And so the our customers are, are 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 saying that they definitely want these vehicles. They're looking at them. I think we have over two hundred thousand reservations. Um, so again, we we need to. Um, Consider these vehicles. I have the Mustang Mach-E uh, at, at home, and I'll tell you, uh, it's it's a, one of the most powerful vehicles I've ever owned in my thirty-year career. For <laughs> uh, the powerful when you're at a stoplight. You got instant torque. Uh, it's just, they're fun, they're exciting, and again, I, I don't stop at the gas station for gas I plug in when I get home,
1: for the most yeah, part. Yeah, uh, but but long term, the prices for these cars, uh, do, do we anticipate that they will eventually match what we're paying now for internal combustion engine uh, vehicles, or will these just be more expensive, um, you know, uh, always?
2: I'll tell you, that's what we're working on, and so that's one of the reasons why Ford built the Ford Ion Park. That's with our Battery Center of Excellence here in Michigan, and we're also expanding that in other states. But uh, those are the things that we're working on. Our goal is to work on the battery technology, bring the price down uh, for the customers, uh, and and eventually, again, uh, the, they will have price purity uh, with with your internal combustion engines.
1: Okay, Uh, Cynthia Williams, uh, it was really great to have you here to talk about how Ford is approaching our electric vehicle future. Thanks so much for joining us.
2: Well, thanks for having me. You guys have a great day. Yeah.
1: And again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. You can also go to Facebook or to Twitter and put uh, comments there, and we'll include you in the conversation. Let's go next to David in Detroit. David, welcome to the show.
5: Hey. For
1: having
5: me uh-huh go ahead so uh we've owned an ev for the past year and a half we have a chevrolet bolt ev and driving around in the day-to-day has been not too bad especially since we've been working from home you can charge at night just like the previous caller mentioned but this past weekend we decided to address one of the big things that sort of hung over our heads with ev ownership which is could we do a four-hour road trip from detroit to chicago Huh. where the amount of driving distance exceeds the maximum range of the EV.
1: You would have, have to recharge have to right. along the way. Yeah.
5: Additionally, in the wintertime, the range of the EV goes down a little bit. So Detroit, Chicago, about 270 miles. With our charge in the wintertime, we might get 180 miles max. So we knew we were definitely going to have to charge. Ended up having to charge twice. On the way from De- Detroit to Chicago. Wow! And each time we charged, we charged for about an hour. So basically, a four-hour trip was turned into a seven-hour trip. And we got some food along the way. We had kids <laughs> with us and tried to make the most of it, but weren't really looking forward to the trip back. That makes yeah.
1: sense. <laughs> so, so I, I I think that's kind of fascinating, David. Um, but first, tell me how you how you found places to charge, and how easy it was or hard it was to find places to charge your car?
5: It wasn't too bad. Um, so the, the Chevrolet app can actually tell you, you put in where you're starting and where you're going, and it knows how much your car is charged, so it can kind of calculate you know, where you might need to charge, how long you need to charge, and based on what charger you have, where you can actually access a charger that would fit your car. Uh, we set our charging filter for the DC fast charge, which is the level three charger and charges your car the fastest. And based on the range and the temperature and our driving style helped us identify where we needed to charge on the way to Chicago. If I could add one more thing really quick on the Mm -hmm. way back, we were kind of dreading this whole like two stop thing. Then we started paying attention to the gauges on our car. And we realized that the The car was actually telling us the whole time how efficiently we were driving. And essentially driving at 70, 75 miles on the highway was actually hurting our efficiency. So on the way back, we decided to drive with a green circle, which was kind of the car's rating of efficiency for maximum efficiency. We figured out that was about 63, 64 miles an hour. And the interesting thing we learned was that if we drove at 63, 64 miles an hour, and maintain that green circle of efficiency, we were actually able to make it back to Detroit on one stop instead oh, yeah. of two. So the irony behind the whole thing is that driving slower got us back faster. We got wow. back in six hours instead of seven <laughs> and a half hours because we only had one stop.
1: Yeah. David, I, I love that you called and shared that that story. It's I mean, I think it's one of those things that people are starting to experience, and starting to learn how... Drive electric vehicles in a way that uh, makes the most sense, Greg Shill. I want to give you a chance to react to David's story, but also uh, to what we heard from Cynthia Williams from Ford uh, about the way that they're handling all this. Yeah, I think we're you know
3: going to have some changes in how we approach these things, um, and everything uh, Ms. Williams said was very encouraging. Um, I think it's important to zoom out a little bit and see. What you know? Ask ourselves basically what problems do EVs solve? um, Because that I think will then uh, allow us to talk about the problems that that are still unaddressed. So, operating emissions—that's a huge problem. And as Maxwell mentioned, um, they're very encouraging. There, it's not as big a reduction as I understand it as the catalytic converter was, for example. Um, But it's it's very big. And I would. You know, urge my fellow uh, urbanists and city lovers out there to, to embrace EVs despite the fact that they don't solve everything. Um, I think they are a very important piece of the puzzle. Um, but there are many other types of problems that they don't solve. So I'd love to circle back, Stephen, to a question that you asked towards the beginning about why people don't, aren't uh, reacting to high gas prices by carpooling more, mm-hmm. why we're focused on these other solutions like EVs. And in prior uh, oil shocks, carpooling made more sense because um, there was less sprawl. People were more concentrated. We lived closer to the daily necessities uh, that we need access to. um, And jobs were more concentrated as well. So in that type of world, you could actually knock on your neighbor's door and realistically expect that your commutes are gonna be more or less in the same direction. Um, But today, that's not really the case. Jobs, especially in Metro Detroit, are very dispersed. Mm -hmm. Destinations are very dispersed. You know, grocery stores, schools and so on. And um, it it may be that you and your neighbor are going opposite directions. So carpooling really wouldn't work. Um, And so, you know, that then plugs into Land use, which is sort of the 800 pound gorilla in the room. Um, There's a reason why people don't bike more in Metro Detroit. And um, yes, we need more infrastructure, but also destinations are quite far apart because we've been, you know, tearing down buildings and replacing them with highways for generations. And so, you know, we have to begin addressing these land use issues. Um, many of which are encoded in law. Um, They are not simply responses to market demand. Um, And so EVs um, are a a sort of second best solution that maps onto that paradigm. But if we're trying to um, prevent ourselves from all needing life rafts in 100 years, then I think we should be thinking about these hard land use questions as
1: well. Yeah, yeah. When we come back, we're going to continue this conversation about electric vehicles and the future of transportation stay with us stay with us on the phones as well matt and pontiac kristen southfield amanda in detroit we'll hear from you next if you want to join them 313-577-1019 is the number you can also go to facebook or to twitter and put comments there and we'll work you into the conversation we'll be right back with more detroit today Listening to Detroit today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. As always, thanks for tuning in. My guest is Greg Schill, associate professor at the University of Iowa College of Law. He studies cities and transportation through the winds of corporate law. He's also co host of the podcast Densely Speaking. We're talking about electric vehicles this hour, the idea of saving money on gas by switching to electric vehicles. By sparing the environment, the pollution from the internal combustion engine, is it enough to convince you to go and purchase one of these EVs? Uh, certainly, the automakers are pushing them pretty hard and focusing more and more of their businesses on the production of electric vehicles. Uh, we want to hear from you about your experience with them. Have you bought one? Do you like it? Uh, what's, the, what's the experience like what are the things that you think of or do differently because you have an electric vehicle instead of one powered by internal combustion? As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there or hashtag us on Twitter and we'll we'll work you into the conversation uh, that way. Let's go next to Chris in Southfield. Chris, what's on your mind?
0: Hey, thanks a lot for having me. I appreciate sure. you.
1: Uh-huh. Go ahead.
0: I'm so, a uh, data scientist um, at one of the OEMs um, mm-hmm. in Michigan, and I worked in an EV program. And one of the things we looked at was both environmental impact and trip data. So, for example, we looked at a lot of tri- telemetry data and looked at trips people would take. And what we learned was that the average person took about seven to eight trips a day. Each trip was about seven to eight miles. So if you do the numbers, um, the average person used roughly 50 to 60 miles per day on a battery that had a range of about 300 to 350 miles. So there was this constant residual of, you know, 250 miles left at the end of each day. So like Tesla and other OEMs, there was this idea that you could reappropriate that that energy and put it back into the home hmm. and essentially use the vehicle like a generator to power your home in the evenings um, when the electrical usage or the, the cost of electricity may have gone up. What we also found, and this is in response to a previous caller who talked about his trip to Chicago, those were really the fringe cases. If I recall correctly, it was something like less than 5% of your trips exceeded, um, you know, 100 miles or 150 miles. However, that's the story that gets told, you know, more often than not in media are those long road trips Hmm. where a person has to stop two or three times to recharge. But, you know, in an urban environment, I think electric vehicles are incredible. I think from an environmental perspective, if an OEM could figure out how to reuse um, remaining battery energy,
1: I think it would be phenomenal, huh, uh, Chris? I really, I really appreciate the call, and and I love that the uh, you've got some real expertise and experience uh, w- with this that really fleshes out again the way we ought to be thinking about these things and not just uh, not just reacting. Uh, Greg, I want to give you a chance to to talk about what 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 Chris is pointing to here.
3: I think these things are great. You know, I. I um... I think we have to be open to all uh, solutions of this type. Um, but, I, you know, the fundamental challenges that cars present can't really be addressed by changing their means of propulsion. Um, and so, you know, on the safety side, for example, about 40,000 Americans are killed every year in car crashes. Um, it's the leading cause of death for children. Um it, that's, you know, that's just in crashes. Then we have emissions, which actually uh, cause more premature deaths than uh, than crashes. Um, so EVs help on the emission side. They don't they're in a full solution, but they do help. But on the crashes side, it's possible they'll make things worse. Um, I don't think we have good data yet. But because they are heavier and they accelerate faster, um, you know, we don't really know yet. The new Hummer, for example, is over 9,000 pounds larger than some World War II tanks, hmm. and the battery alone weighs as much as a Honda Civic. Um, so, you know, these, these problems are, are um, thorny, and EVs absolutely can help, um, but I would hate for them to suck any oxygen out of the conversation around uh, improving public transit sure. and other ways for folks to get around.
1: Yeah. Again, Chris, really appreciate the call and your insights. Let's go to Amanda in Detroit. Amanda, welcome to the show.
2: Hi. um, I live in um, downtown Detroit, and I need to buy a car soon, and I keep them for a long time. And I'm really perplexed on gas or electric. I live in a building that doesn't have charging stations, and a friend came in from Chicago with his Tesla and needed to drive 20 minutes to a suburban Myers um, to get a charge. And so I'm wondering if I buy an electric car today, how do I charge it? Are there charging stations downtown? I also don't drive. um, Like, I can go a couple weeks without driving because I live downtown downtown. So does the charge get retained, um, especially if I'm charging remotely? And if someone runs out of gas, you can like go walk and get some or someone can bring it. What if you run out of electricity? Hmm. So these are like my questions like gas prices, are they going to be astronomical and retail dismal? So do I need to buy electric now if I keep my car for over 10 years? Um,
1: so those are my questions. Great question. Uh, I'll, I'll say up front... Um uh, Amanda, that, that I, I used to live downtown as well. And I used to notice charging stations in the Z lot that, that parking garage over near, um, near the Skillman branch of the Detroit public library. But, but, uh, I, I will also admit that I don't remember seeing them in many, in many other places. So, so I think you're making a good point about, uh, the availability of them, but, but, again, that factors into the decisions, of course, people make about what they're going to buy. I mean, if you can't find a place easily to charge your car, uh, you know, why why would you buy it? And if you live in an apartment, it, that's a different question than if you live in a house. Greg, this does also get to some of those broader questions about the way we live and the way we count on transportation.
3: Absolutely. Um, and I think, People who live in apartment buildings, you know, are going to need some public provision of um, of charging stations. I would just urge that those stations be added. Often, when we add car supportive infrastructure, it's at the expense of other modes of transportation. Um, Because a lot of us have kind of a car blindness where we just see the transportation world and through the the windshield, really. Um, So, you know, some cities have put them on the sidewalk with then a cable that goes into the street, which can obstruct the sidewalk, especially for folks using wheelchairs. Other cities have put them in the street. So they, they use them basically to separate parking spaces um where there's on street parking and that works a lot better so there can be different solutions in different places but we definitely need to make it feasible um, for folks who can't install charging infrastructure at home uh, to charge
1: yeah again Amanda thanks very much and I think I think that there are more charging stations than just that one I remember from uh, the z lot down, downtown I bet a, a Google search might turn some of them up for you. Um, let's go next to Mark in Farmington. Mark, welcome to the show.
5: Hello. Uh, we have a Chevy Volt. It's a plug-in hybrid. We've had it for about eight years. It runs about 42 miles on a charge, if you're mm-hmm. careful. Mm-hmm. And uh, we go weeks at a time driving that thing without ever putting a drop of gas in it. But, uh, you know, one time I drove to Columbus back in the same day, and it has a generator that kicks on. So you drive it like an electric car, but when, the, um, when you have a long-range issue, it's got a generator. So a uh, question for your guests there, why are they not building more like that, which would take away the uh, range anxiety? Hmm. Um,
1: I'll, I'll take my answer off the air. Great question, Mark. Uh, Greg, go ahead.
3: So that's a good question. And, um, you know, somebody who has more experience in the auto industry could speak better to it, but I'll say that, you know, one huge advantage of EVs is their technical simplicity compared to ice cars. And this would also apply to a hybrid. They're just, there are so many fewer parts. There's so many fewer things to go wrong. Um, I have to think, especially when automakers, you know, I study corporate law as well as transportation. And when they're thinking about how to grow the business for the long term the advantages of scale in evs if they can get the battery uh production right are just enormous and so and, and in the end that ends up being good for all of us but i guess we're in that growing pains phase right now mm.
1: again mark uh really appreciate the call and the comments let's go to matt and Pontiac. matt welcome to the show
5: hey thanks for taking my call um i love the idea of evs Uh, and I guess time will tell if they take over our gas counterparts. Um, but I was wondering, and I'll take my uh, answer off the air, but I was wondering if there had been any study on, on the impact to our electrical infrastructure if the entire country went to EVs. Yeah. I mean, we've seen storms wiping out parts of Texas and. We've seen some of the, the flaws in the grid, and I was just curious if there had been any discussion about what it would look like if we all had plugins in our house. Yeah, it's, a
1: great, it's a great question, Matt. We talked just a little about this uh, a little bit earlier, but, but, but Greg, go back to the question of, of infrastructure for this kind of thing and whether we're even preparing for you know, the possibility that lots more people will, will drive cars that need this kind of power.
3: I think there are stories you can tell about moving in both directions here and kind of like charging stations, um, you know, we need the infrastructure to to, uh, enhance the ability of people to use EVs uh, on the generation side. And I say in both directions, because on the one hand, there's a lot of energy uh, being generated from renewables, like especially solar and to some extent geothermal. And that's very encouraging. And you know th- there are many positives there um, on this on the nuclear side we're kind of moving in the other direction it's amazing to me we have nuclear-powered submarines nuclear powered you know aircraft carriers but we can't really seem to build nuclear power plants anymore and that's mm. that's really a, a legal issue as opposed to a technical one um, and the renewables are great and they're ramping up uh, we just we need to do more of that for exactly the reason that your caller
1: identified yeah uh, and the idea of nuclear power, that could provide electricity, again, reduces more of this emissions issue that 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 you still would have, even if the vehicles are electric. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Greg Schill, it was really great to have you here with us on Detroit Today to talk about uh, electric vehicles and the future of transportation. Thanks so much for joining us on Detroit Today. Thank you, Stephen. That is going to do it for us today. I'll be back tomorrow when Oakland County Executive Dave Coulter is going to join the program on the heels of his State of the County speech. We're going to talk about where Oakland County is headed and about the prospects of a more robust transit system here in southeast Michigan, speaking of electric vehicles uh, and, and conservation. Detroit Today is produced by Jake Neer and Sam Corey. The program director is Joan Isabella. Our technical director and engineer is Matthew Trevethan. and our student producers are Amanda Duran and Chantelle Phillips. Detroit Today's music is created by Sam Bobian and Will Sessions. Also wanna give a shout out to the folks at KBIA here in Columbia, Missouri, where I am right now, and they are graciously giving us studio space and engineering help so that uh, I can continue to do the show there in Detroit. This is 1019 WDETFM Detroit's NPR station. Your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.